and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Please stay with us for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is June the 4th, 2013. No stopping it. Time is passing this morning. At 2 a.m., I was listening to the BBC News. (laughs) Gotta stop that. Listening to the news all night. I've done it since since 9-11, I guess. Anyway... On the BBC News, I heard a report about the woman in El Salvador who was unable to terminate her pregnancy, even though it was endangering her life. The Supreme Court in El Salvador upheld their law declaring it criminal to have an abortion under any circumstances whatsoever. Uh... The physicians, even their assistants, uh, get time in prison if convicted. Uh, the woman uh, was unable to get a termination, yes. Uh, and the fu- well, Now, the funny thing is she was not named. They said on the news that, uh, you know, this was to protect her. Something about privacy, was it? Isn't that ironic indeed to think that her name is kept private? Uh, I suppose it's for shame, right? Uh, Her body, her health, is obviously uh, an affair for the state to settle. Uh, She has now received a cesarean section at uh, 26 weeks. I believe that's just before the date of viability anyway. This child uh, had no brain. Whatever it was, it died about five hours after its birth. Now, the the progressive journalist Bill Moyers once said that no government can hold on to authority if it outlaws half the population. This war on women continues, and I, for one, am sick to death listening to all the arguments that go nowhere. Uh, All this argument about woman's and man's reproductive freedom never ends. I used to wear a button saying, if you don't believe in abortion, don't 
have won. The issue, of course, is freedom, the right to choose. God, no one wants to have an abortion. Anyway, uh, I guess that in a man's world, there is a serious problem about women making this choice. Uh, yes, in a man's world, it's anathema to anyone in power to recognize this power that women have, uh, this power over life and death. You know, this is about women playing God. And, of course, we're not playing. There is no way to escape all the ambiguities. Uh, it's a painful issue. Always will be saying people say, yes, we want to make abortion unnecessary. However, uh, that goal is far away. Uh, think for a moment what the world would become if every woman on the planet, on the globe, uh, were allowed to choose freely for herself whether or not to conceive. Wow! No way in my belief system. The only rule is honesty. If a woman chooses to terminate a pregnancy, so be it. If someone, anyone, or the state believes that this is killing, so be it. That's the point. If a woman chooses not to bring another person into the world, into a world in which nearly seven billion people are still multiplying at a rate that cannot be sustained, then so be it. When I was born in 1933, there were about two billion souls on earth. <laughs> Do the math. I went to my bookcase at uh, two o'clock after I heard that report on the BBC, and I pulled out a book uh, essay. Uh, it's, yes, it's a little hardback. It's a long, long essay. It's... Uh, Oriana Falacci's Letter to a Child Never Born. It was a famous essay back in the day. Uh, so this was published in 1975. Most uh, progressive folk remember Oriana Falacci. Uh, she, she's a very problematic journalist. She had a terrific reputation. But uh, I disagreed with many of her her opinions. However, I think uh, we can say she made a noise in the world. She writes about her impossible decision when she discovers she's pregnant. The essay details her existential anguish. Uh, it's a contradiction from start to finish. The issue, of course, is to be or not to be. Mark Twain once said not, right. I think one of his uh, dearest daughter, I think, wasn't it the youngest, I remember, she died suddenly. And um, he wrote this heartbreaking essay saying that he, he would have preferred that she had not lived, that life was too painful, and that the lucky ones were those who had not come into being. 
He was pretty depressed at that point. Now, I, I cannot imagine making that choice, the choice of whether a child will live or die. I, I never made it. Um, the circumstances did not arise. I always feel a little guilty discussing it. Uh, I was, um, well, I we had good birth control in my day, and I was uh, very ill. I had a surgery at the age of 28. Uh, hysterectomies were very fashionable when I was young, yes. So from age 28 on, this circumstance did not arise. And before that, uh, I was one of the <laughs> one of the women in the West who were so cautious that it probably affected my psyche forever and ever. That's another that's another issue. I think I had the kind of ego that couldn't resist the notion of, you know, creating something. Uh, I guess I thought it was a kind of immortality. Yes, Shakespeare always said, if thou wouldst be immortal, beget children. I, I want to read you just some passages from Oriana Falacci just to air this subject. I don't see how we could possibly argue uh, about it anymore, but I hear it over and over. Uh, so many people are just stuck with this issue. They can't seem to get to the notion that it's about freedom. Uh, let's see. She begins, she begins with uh, a dedication. Let me read you that. She writes, to those who do not fear doubt, to those who wonder why without growing tired and at the cost of suffering and dying, to those who pose themselves the dilemma of giving life or denying it. And this book is dedicated by a woman for all women. Right, okay, that business of to be or not to be is a real question. It's not a philosophical question. Yes. I think, uh, well, it's my belief that this is why women are so much more realistic than men. Men are such romantics, have you noticed? I was trying to count the physicians, doctors in our Congress, our statesmen. Uh, I think there's a few, and there are actually... Some mothers in both the House and the Senate, uh, check and see how they voted on these matters. Uh, anyway, uh, let me jump in here and see. Oriana Falaci was, of course, uh, a left-wing uh, journalist, but she she had some, what do you call it, some terrific blind spots, particularly where... Uh, gay men were concerned. Uh, well, never mind. That's a side issue. Uh, she goes on and on about her confusion and how she was disoriented. Uh, she wonders, you know, she asks all the questions about who this person will be. I, I love the God stuff. She says, uh, she's talking to the child. This is fun. Yes, she says, to begin with, You'll have to struggle to maintain that if God exists, he might even be an old woman with white hair or a beautiful girl. 
then you'll have to struggle to explain that it wasn't sin that was born on the day when Eve picked an apple. What was born that day was a splendid virtue called disobedience. Now there you see, she's having fun. She likes being uh, a naughty child. I I don't know, Ariana. (laughs) She writes that the heart and the brain have no sex, nor does behavior. Always remember that. Again, she's talking to this child. She's written the child a letter. Uh, He appears to be a boy. If you should be a person with heart and brains, I certainly won't be among those who will insist that you behave one way or another, either as a male or female. Ah, now that is another contradiction. As I said, she uh, was very, uh, what is the word, judgmental and critical of male homosexuals. Uh, Oh, Oriana. She goes on to say, I'll only ask you to take full advantage of the miracle of being born. And she goes on to say that the only real sin is cowardice. It attacks us all every day. There are very few people who don't let themselves be torn to pieces by it. Yes, in the name of prudence, expedience, sometimes in the name of wisdom. We are cowardly as long as some risk threatens. Humans become bold once the risk has passed. Never avoid risk even when fear is holding you back. To come into the world is already a risk. The risk of later regretting that you were born. She goes on to say, it's too early to talk to a child this way. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, then she has all these terrible moods, and then the child's father makes an appearance. Uh, She does not want to marry. There's some funny stuff here about the way the doctors and nurses treat her once they know that she's not Mrs. Uh, You know, they're sanctimonious and and smarmy when they think she's married, and then (laughs) they change. Uh, She finally gets to the subject of... Love. She listens to this man who is the father of this child. Uh, uh, he is on the phone and he says that they were both guilty. <laughs> they could each pay half the expense. Anyway, he goes on that way. She's ashamed for him. She says, I hung up thinking that once I had loved him. Loved him? One day, you and I, here she's speaking again to the unborn child, one day you and I will have to have a little talk about this business called love. I still don't understand what it's all about. My guess is that it's just a gigantic hoax invented to keep people quiet and diverted. Everyone talks about love. The priests, the advertising posters, the literati, and the politicians, those of them who make love. Anyway, she says, in speaking of love and offering it, uh, it is a panacea for every tragedy. 
Uh, I hate this word. You find it everywhere in every language. Uh, I try never to use it. I don't even ask myself if what is troubling my heart and mind is this thing they call love. Indeed, I don't know if I love you. I don't think of you in terms of love. I think of you in terms of life. Okay, she says some unkind things about the father. She says she's afraid she never loved him. Oh dear, the same goes for all those who came before him. Disappointing ghosts in a search that always failed. Well, not completely. It was worth something after all. To understand that nothing threatens your freedom so much as this mysterious rapture that a human being can feel toward another, a man toward a woman, or a woman toward a man. There are no straps or chains or bars that can hold you in a blinder slavery, a more desperate sense of helplessness. Beware of giving yourself to someone in the name of that rapture. It only means forgetting yourself your rights, your dignity, and thus your freedom. Like a dog floundering in the water, you try vainly to reach a shore that doesn't exist, a shore whose name is loving and being loved. You end in frustration, scorn, and disillusionment. Anyway, she goes on at great, great length. Um, <laughs> yes, uh <laughs> She's one of those who finally concludes that women are romance addicts and that, uh, well, I would say you simply wait until you're so old that it's too late to matter, you see, and then, then you are free to love. Uh, then she goes on about being alone, how alone she is, and then how alone the child is. I think that's the thought that bothered me more than any uh I assumed that I would die before any child that I gave birth to. I always wondered if I had the right to leave another individual on earth and uh, that he might have to, he or she, might have to go it alone. Uh, anyway, that upsets me. I see that this issue is extremely emotional for some of us and... Uh, it's very hard to know what another woman feels. Uh, Ariana Falaci, in her book, Letter to a Child Never Born, goes on in a great, great passion. Uh, mm -hmm. I, think, I think she could have used more humor, God bless her, but this is not a situation for laughter. Uh, the... The... Uh, material about the uh, the child's father and the doctors. She says how we must get used to all these things. Uh, then she comes to her boss, the guy that wants to send her on these wonderful assignments. She went to interview Gaddafi and all those people. Okay. And his boss is, her boss is kind of, kind of, well, he isn't insensitive so much. He just keeps telling her that, you know, uh, she should think about it and that uh, her career might be on hold, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. She 
she isn't very kind to him. I think probably he was just trying to help her. Uh, anyway, she goes back to the terrible thoughts about the men that she thought she loved and apparently didn't. Uh, yes, she talks about all the injuries and pain. It's the injuries that I thought were overcome. They were inflicted by those men before your father. Those ghosts through whom I understood that love is a hoax. The wounds are healed, the scars barely visible. But a phone call is enough to make them ache again. Like old broken bones when the weather changes. Yes, pain, pain, pain. That's what it's all about. Yes. Then she comes to the point where she asks the child when he or she thinks it is a person. Yes, when does life begin? She wants the child to tell her. <laughs> she speaks about her grandmother and her mother and the moment that they felt a child moving inside them, that kind of thing. Uh, she says, yes, there's a group of doctors for whom a human being becomes a human being after 28 weeks, namely at the moment when it can survive outside the uterus, even though gestation has not been completed. And then, she says, there's a group of anthropologists for whom a human being is not even a newborn baby, but someone who's been molded by cultural and social influences. I remember once reading that... Somewhere, some tribe, some some country, uh, they did not name the child until it was at least two. They didn't count it as a human being. You know, I think that makes a certain amount of sense. It was not fully, is it fully realized. It was certainly alive, but not, not a person yet. Then she goes on a great deal about uh, religion, Catholicism. She says she's not Catholic, uh, but of course... She was raised in a Catholic country. Anyway, she talks about the priests in her dreams, how they shout at her. Uh, and, yes, she goes on to talk about her friends and their attitude. The doctors put her to bed. She begins to be ill. She eventually loses this child. I will uh, not keep you in suspense, uh, the child, she says, decided it would not be born. Making babies, yes, making babies, she says it's a job for old people because of their great patience. As I've always thought that children should be raised by their grandparents as they do among, I think it's the Navajo who do that, but always the grandparents are the wisest. Uh, she talks about, yes, being like trees. <laughs> oh, she's got some very confused beliefs. She says that trees don't devour anything. They don't uh, feed on living tissue, but of course they do. Uh, once again, she's overwhelmed by her dreams. Uh, I guess, yes, she wants the child to be wiser than she is, I think. 
she goes on at length about socialization, about being born uh, to the bondage of family. Remember once finding the word familia. It's Latin. It's all the slaves belonging to one male Roman citizen, right? The familia. She goes on about, uh, yes, social controls. Thou shalt not writ over the door. You remember William Blake, right? Everywhere we go, it says over the door, thou shalt not. Virginia Woolf used to say that fascism begins in the home, in the cradle, in the crib. She said, in the English home as well as the German. <laughs> she was talking about uh, Germany back in the uh, day when they were looking at the uh, coming World War Two. Uh, she writes, I don't believe in the family. The family is a lie constructed the better to control people, the better to exploit their obedience to rules and legends by whoever organized this world. We rebel more easily when we're alone. Now, wow, I wonder if that's true. I remember realizing that I had to leave my marriage before I could become even a little bit of an activist. Uh, remember once uh, trying to write some letters and do some things. Uh, it's all about James Baldwin. And I noticed that... Uh, it made me less sympathetic, less less popular in the home. Yes, my dinner conversation was immediately suspect. Uh, my brother-in-law muttering, troublemaker, troublemaker. I said, James Baldwin is a writer, <laughs> a thinker. Ah, dear. Anyway, she says, Oriana Falachi says, it's easier uh, to be rebellious when you're alone. Uh, I think I was interesting. I was reading once a book about a woman in Honduras. She uh, did, she, she took over the land. Uh, she's a squatter, I guess they called them, but uh, was a reclamation of their lands. And at some point, um, her husband kicked her out. Uh, she and the children, he, he left them. Uh, he didn't want her putting energy into something that wasn't uh, directly related to his needs. Uh, she goes on about how people in families often hate and detest each other. Uh, she says that regret exists. Uh, it is rooted in us. Anyway, uh, obviously she's managed to avoid families. She has a great deal to say about her mother. Her mother used to say that she wished she'd been born a man, and Ariana Falachi says uh, that is one thing that she had never said. Uh, she thinks of all the reasons to have a child who is uh, feminine and then one who is masculine. Uh, <laughs> she is pretty, pretty severe about her species, uh, she says she hopes that her child will live among decent people who have some idea of freedom because it becomes hell when you live among the arrogant who deny you even the luxury of dreaming of freedom, of realizing it in your imagination. The laws of the arrogant have only one advantage to offer. You can react to them by struggling and dying. But the laws of decent people 
offer no escape, since you've been persuaded that it is noble to accept them. Wow, now there she's got it. When you love the people you're living with and you want to make them happy, that's when you're really in a trap. Okay, I have to stop there and I've only done one-third of what I planned to do today. <laughs> As I said, Oriana Falaci uh, did not bring a child into this world, but uh, she let the child decide. The child decided to leave, to leave her anyway. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air again next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. of Urban Homesteading presents Urban Farm Tours on June 8, 2013 from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You're invited to come see what experienced, home-scale urban farmers are up to and what is possible on a small, medium, or large urban lot. This year's tour is a benefit for the Institute of Urban Homesteading and features farms in Albany, El Cerrito, Richmond, and El Sobrante. You will see fruit and vegetable gardens, chickens, goats, bees, earthen buildings, rainwater catchment systems, Systems, food forests, and much, much more. Ask questions, get advice, and sample some of the bounty these farmers are producing. For detailed descriptions and registration, go to iuhoakland.com and click on Urban Farm Tours or call 510-927-3252.